0: To the legal weekly wine where we talk about the week's hottest legal topics i'm virginia Tarrani. i am with the law unscripted and i also run Tarani law llc because you never need a lawyer tell you do i am so happy to have with me dr john vile from middle tennessee state university he is the dean of the honors college and I'm thrilled to have him today. Most days I am, but even especially today. We are in the Supreme Court cases summer. It is We are right up on it. We are in June. We have had some great cases already. We've got the takings cause case with the little old lady. Um, but this week, we are going to talk <laughs> about Jack Daniels and Squeaky Toys. So we are gonna hit that Supreme Court case, which who knew that would ever be a Supreme Court case. And we are also going to um, talk about Trump's indictments, the new ones um, by the DOJ in federal court. So we have got those two huge topics. We're going to hit some others. The Supreme Court decisions keep coming down. And that's why Dr. John Vile is here with us, because he is um, a preeminent constitutional law scholar about the Constitution, the amending process, and how it all works together. So that's a lot of me speaking. Welcome, Dr. Vile.
1: Good to be here.
0: So um, I think you might be as excited as me.
1: I'm pretty excited. I mean, I live in Tennessee. Uh, By the way, I don't drink whiskey, but I have to defend the pride of our state. And one of the things I think that you found when you traveled, am I right, when you went to France, the two things that everybody seems to know about Tennessee is that it's the home of Elvis Presley and Jack Daniels.
0: That's it. That's what the state is. Well, I mean, Nashville, country music, but of those three things, Jack Daniels is such a preeminent fixture of Tennessee. Yes. And that's where you are.
1: That's right. And
0: that's where I grew up. So, yeah, this is very exciting. I I have Jack with us today. I know you don't drink whiskey, but I do. Um. So, for happy hour... I didn't hear
1: that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know. In addition to being this amazing scholar um, that he is, he is also my dad. Um, so, doing this weekly wine with him has been quite a trip. Normally, we drink wine. Well, he doesn't. But normally, I do on the legal weekly wine. And this week, I said, okay, we're getting away from wine. It's the first time in this series that we have not done wine. But it was appropriate to do some Jack and Coke today, our famous combination. And I told him <laughs> having to tell your dad that you are drinking whiskey and you want him on a show so that you can drink whiskey while he watches has been <laughs> hilarious.
1: So it is. <laughs> and here I, you know, I thought I was checking j- dressing up like Jack Daniels today <laughs> and everybody tells me instead that I look like Colonel Sanders. So Go figure.
0: Well, <laughs> you know, that's another iconic figure. And we're talking yes. about trademarks anyway. So yes. I think it's extremely appropriate um, to do that. So cheers to happy hour on this Friday. Um, I will not drink much. I only poured one shot, not two. Um, so hopefully you'll grab your glass of Jack today or your favorite wine. And we're going to start then. <laughs> cheers. No clink today, but very nice. Okay, so um, we have. If
1: we don't have a click, we could have a squeak, couldn't we? Can't hear it. Oh, no. There we go, a little bit.
0: (laughs) Jack and squeaky toys. We did, we tried to find the squeaky toy that this case is about, but we can't find them anywhere. They're like sold out. And I think, you know, this case is making them even more popular, um, which is probably a problem based on the ruling of the court Um, and probably I can't get them anymore or shouldn't, Um, but we are going to have a squeak for today. My dogs are going crazy, so if you see them in the background, it's the best time to have the dogs because it's squeaky toy day. All right, so Jack Daniels Properties, Inc. versus VIP Products, LLC. Yes. All right, so... Trademarks case. Yes, trademarks case. We don't normally have these in the Supreme Court, do we?
1: Not that many. Uh, There have been a few. You know, there was a case of... Couple of years back, as to whether a singing uh, a musical group could call themselves the Slants, which was sort of a play on a stereotype that's off a stereotype that's often used against Asian Americans, and previously the the trademark office had refused to offer it, mm. but the court decided in that case that it was a, it was uh, an example of free expression, and that's really. Sort of the what what developed in this case, it's at least indirectly a First Amendment case, Absolutely. because the trademark company Spanish. is saying, and I've, I'm trying to remember, remember what they call it. They call it span uh, instead of Jack Daniels. It's bad spaniels. Bad spaniels. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, they do, they develop a squeaky toy. In the shape of <laughs> the Jack Daniels bottle, which is fairly distinctive, extremely uh, square, it's rectangular sort of square bottle, uh, and the the words themselves that they use on the trade or, or the, mm-hmm. the the bottle itself, the label also mm-hmm. resembles. It's also black and white. Um, right.
0: It's it it's has, very a, it has a number
1: two, which was meant as a reference to. Of dog do, Uh, which which (laughs) you can imagine Jack Daniels was not terribly happy about. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah. Cause they have the number seven on their branding, right? This is their full branding and the, yeah, instead of the number seven, it said, just like you said, the number two, and then it said something else. What was, um, Oh, the old number two on your, okay. So yeah. The
1: carpet, if I remember on your
0: Tennessee carpet. So instead of the old number seven, um, Tennessee sour mash whiskey, which is what's on here, it became the old number two on your Tennessee carpet. So I don't have the squeaky toy for it, but yeah, I mean, that's such a distinctive label. Everybody knows it. Even if you don't have, even if this is covered up.
1: Right. It's the the bottle shape itself is, is Mm -hmm. part of the, Part of the package, if you will.
0: Exactly. It's so distinctive. And that's the whole reason or one of the reasons it can be trademarked, as I understand. Right. right. So what does establish an actual trademark?
1: Well, you know, the court doesn't use this analogy. But there, there's an old analogy that says "If something looks like a duck and <laughs> They say quack, but squeaks like a duck. Exactly. <laughs> uh, et cetera, et cetera, <laughs> that it probably like a is a duck. <laughs> and basically, I mean, there is, there's arguably some free expression going on here. This mm-hmm. is, you know, and uh, satire, th- this is more parody, I guess, than satire. But there are cases, for example, you may remember years ago there was a case involving uh, the Reverend Jerry Falwell senior
0: oh, in
1: which they, I there was a play he it was very very crude um, but basically claimed that he had had it was about his first time which is you know the the uh, whatever the the drink was had an advertisement on the first time and oh this my was his first time was supposed to be with his mother in an outhouse. Again, it was very, very crude. Yeah. Uh, and he he sued. I mean, rightfully, he, he was hurt by this. Uh, and he sued for libel, I guess it would be rather than mm. slander, uh, but sued for libel. And in this case, basically, the court said, you know, there's free range, particularly when it comes to mocking public figures um, uh, this was sort of a is. stab at the perceived hypocrisy that he you know some sometimes pastors exhibit. uh, and in this case, you know, and I think the further was that really nobody, you know, nobody really believed this, you know, believed that it was meant to be true. It actually said at the bottom and and perhaps for that reason, if I recall this trademark mm. does say at one point in fine print at the bottom, that this is not, you know, not produced by Jack Daniel. But Correct. What, what the what Justice Kagan, who wrote a unanimous decision, by the way, for the Supreme Court,
0: which is unheard relative, of.
1: Well, relatively rare, particularly in a case that could implicate free speech. Now there are there's some concurring opinions, but they don't have to do with the, It's not. They have to do with some of the reasoning in the case right. rather than the case itself. But essentially. What they say is that, you know, if you were choosing squeaky toys, you would, and you saw this one for Jack Daniel, you might actually think it was produced by Jack Daniel.
0: I would have. If I'd seen it, I would have.
1: Right. And therefore the primary element in the case there's something known as the rogers test which probably we don't need to get into
0: yeah but i think it's important because the the con- one of the concurring opinions actually talked about it and questioned whether it should be used
1: well the court itself basically said we're not we're not saying yay or nay on the mm-hmm. rogers test but basically but. it was a test that said if there's you know, it gave primacy typically to mm-hmm. free speech claims.
0: For expressive in this case,
1: works. Right. In this case, it said that there was a prior decision that had to be made, which mm-hmm. is, is it actually playing completely off the trademark uh. in a way that would hurt the reputation or imply that it was done by Jack Daniel? And so mm-hmm. if you're using the squeaky... T- if the toy looks so much like and could be confused with the products of the company, then you really the any expressive element is so minor by comparison. You know, so trademarks are designed right. Trademarks are designed to distinguish one product from another. Right. And the court says, you know, you if you if you like whiskey, you might like Jack Daniel's more than you would another brand. So exactly. it is a way of identification and having other companies emulate your trademark mm-hmm. even if it's in jest right. could possibly destroy the value of the trademark itself.
0: Absolutely. It it I I agree with the, of all of the things I actually agree with this decision. There are some that I'm like oh, I can agree in part and dissent in part. Sure. <laughs> um, but this one I do actually agree with because I think it does both. I think part of the problem with, you know, a trademark case is you're saying it like you you did, it dilutes our brand and or it's using our product to gain profit from right. somebody else and I think that's exactly what's happening in this case is I think the brand is diluted because it's passing it on to other products and Jack Daniel's to all of my understanding only sells whiskey. That they I mean now, they might someone sell has some told shirts. me that
1: they now that they now manufacture beer, but I don't but know it's that alcohol. for alcohol. It's yeah. all alcohol
0: yeah. related. They're not right. in the business of selling squeaky right. toys or any other products that you right. can get except maybe some t-shirts or something.
1: barrels I believe. Uh, if you go to Lynchburg, Tennessee, I know the stores there have distinctive barrels with Jack Daniels written on it, which I think people use for alcohol storage.
0: Which makes sense because it's all what they're trademarking is alcohol-related. So what they're producing, what they're making money on is alcohol-related, not dog toys. So someone else has come in and is now making money on the trademark, the branding that they have, instead of giving it to Jack Daniels, so they're making money, and it's diluting the brand because it's going away from the alcohol. Right. And I thought <laughs> these, these comments, these quotes from this case are hilarious.
1: Again, I, I, I love she starts out by saying, um, let's see, one something to the effect that Products, right, that one rarely has a ca- has a case in which one can say the words whiskey and uh, squeaky dog <laughs> in the same, <laughs> in <stitches>. the same <laughs> sentence.
0: Yeah, the, this case is about dog toys and whiskey, two items seldom appearing in the same sentence. Right, right. It's hilarious. And then the other one was, it was so funny to me, is um, she's arguing that, you know, They had infringed upon it and diluted the trademark by leading consumers to believe that the company had produced the toy. And in her words, she says, by associating, quote, associating the famed whiskey with dog excrement. Yes. I mean, what a case.
1: But by the way, she gives a semi-endorsement, if you've noticed. that's funny. She says... You know, most of you probably, if you go to your looker cabinet, can look and, and see what Jack Daniels looks like. <laughs>
0: That's so funny. Mm. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's one for the books, and I love I love the arguments, and I do. I think the Rogers case is important here because, in my mind, it's it doesn't have to be a true test. Hi, do you want the squeaky toy? Um, I'm going to have to. <laughs> pass off the squeaky toy to one of my dogs who's dying for it. Um, it's, it's their favorite legal weekly wine day.
1: I think I saw one I'm trying to drink your whiskey too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I have to check on that. But um, everybody's <laughs> excited for today. Um, but I, I think goodness, where was I headed? <laughs> um, oh, the, the Rogers test. For me, it's not a Supreme Court case. It's a Second Circuit, Right. so I'm but a surprised. Test
1: has been used, right?
0: Yeah, it's been used so widely, but I'm surprised by it because it's not a higher court. And I know it—you know—there are reasons to get up to the higher court versus not. But I would like to see a case challenge the Rogers test well, and bring it up.
1: It, it, if you are an attorney and you have read this case mm-hmm. and you have a chance to challenge the case, you Now's have the time. Two or three judges specifically saying they probably would overrule it. Yeah. And the court, the court unanimous court saying we're not really applying the test because we don't even get to that point.
0: Correct. Yeah. And the the interesting part. So the Rogers test is looking at trademarks and saying an expressive work doesn't violate trademark. It is a First Amendment freedom of speech issue, but it was so narrow in my mind, because it was about, what was it? Grace? Grace Kelly? Who was suing?
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a movie or, or that or Ginger Rogers Rogers. and Fred Astaire. There there was a movie that used characters that had similar names. I think it was actually an Italian movie. And it was like, yeah, you know, people sort of are going to get an inside joke here, but it's not as though you would watch this movie and think you're seeing Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire.
0: Right. Or, of course, Kelly. Exactly. Yeah. And to me, it was limited because it was the title of the work is artistically relevant to the underlying work, and it's not explicitly misleading as to the source of the content. Right. And right. to me, even if you applied the Rogers test, it would fail. Because in my mind, Jack Daniels, the the squeaky toy, is explicitly misleading, as to the source, even though it says this is not a Jack Daniels product. If you just pick it up or look at it, you think it, it is coming from Jack Daniels that they're doing a parody of themselves and they're not, but anyway, Anyway, it's it's, it's
1: a great case.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Between that and the little old lady case, can we mention that for like two minutes?
1: Yeah. Um, the, that's, uh, I wish I could, do you have the name of it? I think I had that I ready don't. for last week and not this. But, yeah,
0: I did too, right, and we the, did. There was
1: a case in Minnesota, basically <laughs> Minneapolis, if I remember, where uh, a woman has moved out of a condo, probably into like an assisted living. Right. And partly as a result, she had not paid her taxes. Uh, and the state ended up selling the condo and pocketing all and the profit. money, you know, she owed like fifteen thousand, and they took the whole forty thousand. Now it turns out the other she may owe the rest uh, in HOA fees or whatever, but not but to not, the state itself,
0: not to the government, and,
1: and basically, right. This is this is comes out of the takings clause mm-hmm. of the Fifth Amendment, uh, which also applies to the states through the Fourteenth Amendment, right? Process clause, which is the notion that you know, a, to, for the government to take property, they have to provide just compensation. Mm-hmm. And when they take property, it needs to be, you know, they shouldn't be taking more property than what is needed for, uh, for the payment. Now, yeah. an area that's related to this, where I frankly think that, I frankly think we need a little bit of work here too. There are some rules where you find somebody hunting on government property and you can confiscate their vehicle. Or you find somebody carrying X ounces of drugs and you, you right. confiscate the house where you find it or the vehicle. Yeah. That's a little bit different issue. It's sort of a criminal law, almost an 8th and 14th Amendment issue. Uh, can, right. can a punishment be so disproportionate to the crime for which the, to which it's being applied as to constitute cruel and unusual punishment. And I think the right. answer is yes. I think there are cases where, uh, you know, government, the, the, they'd love to pull somebody over on a drug charge in certain jurisdictions yeah. because they're going to try to confiscate their car along with it. Yeah. And then they're going to sell the car and put it into a policeman's fund or or whatever. And well, I, I think there's...
0: Yeah, that's one of the things that I used to do as a prosecutor is we would have those cases. And if you were on the the drug team or drugs, guns and gangs or whatever the team was, then that was part of your job is you would handle the civil matters where if a car or a boat or a house had been taken because it was allegedly the proceeds had been right. of illegal activity had been used to purchase them, then that was that was a takings. But one of the biggest cases that we had, I didn't do it but it, it I think the house, the boat and the car were taken and they had to prove the prosecution had to prove that right. that amount of money had been used not just that drug dealers had bought a house right. um, but that that amount of money and particular you know funds from illegal activities had been used to purchase those products. And so be, they can't be illegal gain. So that goes back to the government.
1: You know, occasionally you'll find that there's been a case or two, and I don't remember the names where they will confiscate like $10,000 from somebody yeah. in cash and don't give it back. Yeah, And they haven't actually proved the underlying offense. There's sort of an assumption that most people don't carry, you know, $10,000 in their back pocket around with them. Uh, but that's, Excepting you know, illegal there, there are down. some reasons that one might carry that kind of cash. Uh, if nothing else, just fear of banks or yeah. whatever.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Okay, so let's get to our other hot topic of the week, because it started last week and then has culminated this Tuesday in the arraignment. But how how many charges do we have now with just this one federal case? Is it? Thirty-two. I believe they're
1: 37, and one of the fascinating things about this case is, you know, the first person to tell us that he was under indictment was Trump.
0: Himself.
1: uh, Former President Trump, I guess I should say. And my recollection is that he claimed that there were going to be seven charges against him. And I don't know if that was intentional or just a misunderstanding, but, you know, it's a pretty big difference between seven and 37. Now, yeah you know most of the charges are you know they're individualized to you know here's a document that dealt with nuclear secrets it's here's the document. document that dealt with a possible attack on iran here's you know here's another document so the 37 in a way is deceptive i mean it mm. the, the primary charges you you have a host of charges involving illegal retention and pos- yes. possession and retention of documents but frankly, the, the more serious charges, I think, have to do first with conspiracy mm. and then also with um, what obstruction? The obstruction of justice. Um, the, the, and, and this goes, by the way, Trump's primary defense to the extent that he has one. I mean, his, his primary defense is he's a victim, he's being persecuted. Probably everybody who I I don't know everybody who gets invited maybe feels that way I don't right. know um but the the primary problem that he has in distinguishing his case I I say then his second mm-hmm. defense is basically well everybody does it right uh, they found some top secret documents in Pence's house they found some uh in Biden's and then the uh, Hillary free- Clinton didn't take due care when she did emails um the The apparent difference, and again, you know this has to be played out in court in mm-hmm. front of a jury. Uh, so one doesn't want to prejudge here, right. But in each of these cases, it appears that remedial actions were taken when they were you know when the government said, you know mm-hmm. you have a document to come on in and find it. If they found it, they take it away. There wasn't well, they're my documents because I'm a former president or a would be president. Uh, that's that's primary difference. And and yeah. frankly, you know, I, I I would say this, whether this is a Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative. Anytime a person who is indicted begins denigrating the prosecution yeah. or attributing bad motives to it, I think it's a time of, of real danger, particularly mm. for someone, you know, who 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 wants hit at our our government yeah uh i you know particularly republicans used to be the primary defenders of the justice department Police and the fbi and, yeah. and the irs you know you name it that they were you know that was law and order and well,
0: technically i mean Repu- you're right republicans generally have been on the side like you said of law and order they us- usually yes. or they used to be pro-police pro-gun yes. Um that it was a government system. Right. And and it is interesting whether it's creating a shift or it has shifted, or there's an attempt to shift the right. idea of yes, we're we, pro-government, it, but our own.
1: You know, the most prominent new term, and I don't know if I've heard it before before this one or not, but the term weaponization. Oh, interesting. Uh, in my, you know, Trump says there's been a weaponization of the Justice Department, of the special counsel. Okay. Um, I mean, arguably, you know, in a system of separated powers, particularly, if you have a president, the president is head of the Justice Department. Right. You know, he he's is commander the chief in chief of yeah. the armed forces. He also has the primary duty to enforce the laws. Right. Uh, the that's executive his job. in chief. So, yeah you know, yes, you know, a former president can say, well, I'm being prosecuted because we have a Democratic president. Mm. But as far as I can tell, Biden has done as much as any president could not to politicize it. Mm. Uh, he, he, has, he has actually stayed out of right? any question, you know, mm-hmm. if they ask him what he thinks about it. No, I'm not going to comment on that. He, his attorney general did not bring the indictment. The indictment was brought by a special counsel. And by the way, the special counsel, uh, Walsh, actually has uh, Tennessee connections. He oh. he was well-established here for uh, prosecuting local uh, governmental officials who were engaged in, in wrongdoing, including uh, a sheriff here in, in, in Rutherford County.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Um, yeah, so he has, uh, you know, to my knowledge, um, none of these as far as I could tell, were at all politically motivated. Mm. He was, you know, investigate this. Did a crime occur? Uh, he concurred. He, he believed that they had and successfully prosecuted them. Uh, whether he'll be, you know, I think that the big problem in the Trump cases is, is going to be so difficult to get a jury yeah. that is not just reflexive, you know, pro or anti-Trump uh, or, pro or anti-government in such a way that they're, you know, they're just not going to listen to the evidence. But, you know, as far as I can tell, and you've read a lot more indictments than I have, but, you know, this seems to be a pretty specific indictment. It is. Uh, You know, there are apparently tape recordings of specific conversations in which the president, Mm -hmm. you know, suggests telling people that there's nothing there or hiding the evidence, uh, this is, you know, I wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of an indictment like this. Yeah, and, it is.
0: It is very specific. Um, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because I think it does go into the differences. I, i I'm trying to keep my personal opinions out of any of it. Um, he keeps bringing comparison, especially to Hillary Clinton and the sure. emails, Um, But it does seem like, at least in the indictment, now whether they can prove it or not, I don't know, but the exhibits they've attached seem pretty, try not to curse on here either, um, seem pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) there we go. (laughs) Um, Against him is if they can be proven, and they're, they're using his own words and his own actions in the public, where do I think Hillary should have used the the private email server or passed secrets yeah. through it? No, I don't. But well, if I may add here, yeah. a
1: lot of this goes to motive. Yes. The, the, you know, Comey, who was head of that previous investigation, if I remember, at least indirectly. Yes. They were unable to find an intent to violate the law. So right. mens rea, I believe is, yes. is the term, you know, the, I heard somebody the other day saying they were they neither knew law nor Latin. Uh, <laughs> I knew just enough to make me dangerous here. Yeah, um, and,
0: and that's right. Is it, it does, in criminal law, you have to have both. You have to have the actus reus, the act, and right? the mens rea, the intent. And I think they're proceeding based on the indictment, the words in the indictment, on the idea that he had the intention to keep the documents To not turn them over, and over a process of about two years, instead of saying, oh my goodness, yes, I have documents, here they are, take them back, you can search, you can keep them, that it seemed to be a process of keeping the documents, wanting to keep the documents, intending to keep them, and intending not, you know, to obstruct the FBI and the archives and anyone else in the government from getting them back. Um, so I, I think that is the specific statutes that they're using too. I mean, the, the, it's not treason, the, um, espionage act is what they're doing. And I thought at first, the title of it's awful is like, oh my gosh, he's, you know, he's selling government secrets, but that's not the purpose of that act under what they're using for the language. It's the retention. It's after request Upon request, it's the retention of the documents without turning them back over, I think, is is what he's been. I think so. With. And
1: I, I mean, the the, the the great unknown. And here's where, you know, and, and when Nixon was under investigation. It kept coming back to initially they couldn't find a smoking gun, mm-hmm. so-called smoking gun. Right. And eventually they found it. They found him. Talking to an aide, John Dean, I believe it was, his counsel, basically saying, you know, here's what we need to do.
0: And it was or, the tape and, recordings, right, from the Oval right, Office. Right, that's
1: right. And and a lot more recordings, actually, in that case uh, than in this. Um, but the, the great unknown in this case and, and the great potential for it getting much bigger, mm. and I say only potential because I don't wish it and I don't know it. No, yeah. Although, but is why did he why did he insist on keeping the documents even after he was told that they didn't belong and and there is by the way the presidential records act of 1978 was passed in part after nixon
0: because of nixon
1: to keep a president from in in his case there was a fear that he was going to destroy documents which would you know undermine mm-hmm. the historical record so that 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 law specifically says that a president, you know, there are certain documents that the presidents can keep, but the others actually belong to the United States. So mm-hmm. the question is, why why does Trump want the documents and that the the, yeah. the less damning, if you will, mm-hmm. reason would be he he just likes to keep that you know he he likes right. to count his it money is. he likes to count yeah. you know and maybe maybe he wants to show off mm-hmm. uh look what yeah. i had access to right but there is always the possibility uh that he hoped to monetize some of these
0: i think that's uh, the
1: fear you know fear. particularly hope, hopefully not with china or russia but maybe with saudi arabia or turkey or you know, countries that we would have some association with that, right. you know, hey, you know, let me tell you some information that might be of help to to you uh, as we do business together. I hope that's not the case, um, but it's hard to imagine exactly, you know, why otherwise, you know, why do you want these documents?
0: Right. And why would you tell your valet, go get them and put them in the bathroom?
1: Yeah. I, and I, I was rather I hoping understand. that, I, you know. I could tell the government I had a secret document and they would have to come. As you know, I have (laughs) probably as many boxes of, every time I write a book, I I get like three boxes of, of articles. And I, you know, maybe they could come through and organize for me (laughs) (laughs) and figure out a storage spot. (laughs)
0: Well, I told you, um, on on sunday this week that that my husband found there's so many memes and videos going on about them parodies and satire about them um this issue is the funniest one that i saw um was this video where it was indiana jones clip of them sealing up the the box for the ark and you know putting it into the the storage unit for the the united states and then it <laughs> hands over to the picture of the documents in the bathroom and it's got the arc in the bathroom. <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, that was really the funniest thing that I've seen. Whatever you think of the indictments, that was pretty funny. Um, but I think I do think, so correct me if I'm wrong for Nixon, they didn't actually get him on the Watergate cover scandal, up. It's the They cover up. got him on the obstruction and the cover up.
1: That's right. The cover-up is almost always worse than the crime.
0: And I think Uh, that's the Pull the band-aid off,
1: acknowledge, you know, hey, we... I mean, and he has some excuses. Right. You know, I thought to the last minute that I was going to win this election. Yeah. You know, I was counting on Mike Pence. You know, he betrayed me. But had he not, I wouldn't have to move any of this. We only had X number of days uh, between that and the time Mm -hmm. I had to leave office. We packed him quickly. I'm so sorry if I got documents that I don't need. Yeah. Um, but you know, one of the fascinating things about and he, and here, you know, some people are saying that that Trump is actually benefiting politically, at least among the Republican base. I don't think he With is the
0: indictment. Uh,
1: yeah. Okay. But that you know he loves he loves playing the role of persecuted, and it's a bizarre role when you think about it. Yeah. Um, you know how many. How many times do we consider that the government primarily goes against white billionaire uh you know ex presidents i mm-hmm. mean they're not generally in it you know if if you know the caroline products footnote uh I
0: don't know that one
1: the the you know, areas that demand special attention and one are discrete and insular minorities. Mm. Uh, I've never considered the president, ex presidency, as a discrete and insular minority that the Justice Department typically targets.
0: Well, I mean, there are only uh, so
1: many. Yeah. <laughs> in any event, I mean, it, hey, the, there the, are that's, a
0: minority of Americans. <laughs>
1: well, well, one of the things that, that I find fascinating is. I would ask his supporters to consider, put aside for a moment, whether my own view is that he, these documents are not his. Mm-hmm. I've read the Presidential Records Act, I think it's pretty clear.
0: The law. Uh,
1: now, an ex president can ask special permission if they're writing a biography, autobiography, or memoirs, they can ask permission to go back and examine documents. And get it on a case by case basis. But I think it's pretty clear that he doesn't own the documents that he claims to sure. own. But even if you even if you think that he did, is this appropriate behavior or is it reckless? Mm. And to me, the notion of, I mean, you know, I deal as an academician, it's it's not quite the same level. Right. But if we have a document. That has a student's social security number on it. Yeah. We have to we have to delete it. Exactly. If, I don't know that we can even store it, but if we stored it, it would have to be in a locked case. Yeah. And we take that very seriously. I mean, we, we we have, you know, we're we're constantly getting instructions, you know, make sure, you know, there's no personal information in any of your files that someone could get. Yes. And here we're dealing with nuclear secrets, plans of attack uh, American weaknesses. I mean, why would you not want the, you know, he can afford to buy, uh, put some locks on some doors. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, and you don't store things like that under pipes that could leak and, and the like.
0: Yeah. and, And I think that's exactly right. Is there, there's, is there some level of fiduciary duty as the president?
1: And right. just it's a good legal term for it. it yes. is.
0: And, and that's how I've been thinking of it is like your your school analogy is me for an attorney. I have client confidentiality and I have very sure. strict rule of ethics that I sure. have to store my client's documents just in a specific way for a specific time. I cannot share them with other people. Um, I have to keep them but it's not because I want them or I'm hoarding them or I'm showing them and and I can't boast about them I can't say hey come look at this I've got something in here but I can't show you or I can't tell you I'm not supposed to it's I have very strict ethical rules of how I deal with my own clients and no offense to my clients but it's like you that's not national secrets Right. It's not something that I, I think could deal with nuclear warfare or nuclear secrets. It's certainly nothing to do with Iran. Um, so, you know, just as mine, my clients who are not nationally related and not national figures, as much as I have to keep them confidential and secret and, you know, I even have to file paperwork, the same thing that I'm not keeping social security numbers and credit card numbers and storing them and using them. Why is, why would a president, you would assume, and maybe there's not a case, and maybe there's not law that does need to be made of, is the president uh, president a fiduciary? And if so, what are his duties with regard to these records that are for the United States?
1: Yeah, and I I don't know, again, I mean, I know that under the Presidential Records Act, once he leaves office, the and you know they, they no longer belong to him. One of the fascinating dimensions of this, and you know, I'm a political scientist rather than rather than a lawyer.
0: But you know but, the constitution. Well and the absolutely, loss. but
1: but but one of the fascinating aspects of this is you know, why is Trump running for re-election?
0: Mm.
1: And one reason the, the only way it's possible that the only way he will stay out of jail hmm. is by being president, because I think it would. Now, we have, by the way, uh, trivia question of the day. Oh, Do you know me. what person ran for president while he was in jail?
0: Oh, I don't know. He's I, not I a main party candidate.
1: Me. Eugene Debs okay. uh, ran as a socialist. Uh, was, got three million votes, if I remember. What year? Uh, 1912, I believe. Okay. Uh, It could be eight, but I believe it's
0: early 1900s.
1: Yeah, somewhere between 1908 and and, uh, 1920, one of those elections. Um, But, you know, of course, if and and what we what what we're likely to see here is Trump's best legal strategy. And you're going to know legal strategy a lot better than I am. But his met best legal strategy might be that of delay. Yes. If he can, if he can keep the prosecution, and and then okay, then we go back to weaponization.
0: Mm.
1: Well, if what he's going to do is, if he becomes president, he's either going to
0: declassify.
1: Well, declassify. I guess he could do that. Although I don't know that that would deal with the obstruction. It
0: may not take but, away the obstruction but charges. The, the,
1: one of the unanswered questions, you know, when I, when, and I, it's in its seventh edition now, my companion to the US Constitution. One of the questions that I've raised but never been able to answer is can a president pardon himself?
0: and i think that's Uh-oh. i've seen quite a few articles raising the same question yep. and nobody seems to have a definitive answer that may be something that's going to the supreme court and the other that's what i'm watching everywhere is so many people have said no matter what is happening with this case that it we are likely to have be entrenched in years of continuing litigation appeals, possibly Supreme court involvement, just because it's such, there are some novel issues that yes. that couldn't be preempted. As you and I know, there has to be an active case, right? It, it, it's, it right. can't be, uh, well, yeah, maybe actual if, case in
1: contra, the, 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 they're, they're not going to tell you whether the president can, can pardon himself until one happened. actually tries to do it. Exactly. Uh, and, and that would be, would, would be a mess Mm -hmm. Um, this is one of the few times by the way where if there are implicit natural law principles in the constitution it may be it you know no no person should be a judge in his or her own case that's not written in the constitution but neither is the presumption of innocence right right? neither is the exclusionary rule there are things that aren't in the constitution that just seems so fundamental to a justice system right. then one could argue that in you know every reasonable for however you would phrase it uh so that that and it w- it would pose an interesting question of constitutional interpretation for sure
0: yeah all right so so this is extremely interesting i mean the hottest news even trump's prior indictments in new york that was really hot and then but this is just
1: well, and by the way, so, there, there's a there's a new development there, and I don't know how how far it's going to go, uh, but this case that uh, Carol did, yes, uh, the uh, civil case, yeah, Jean, Jean Carol. Carol. Remember, you know, she got a judgment not that long ago
0: on the basis.
1: I think I think ultimately what the jury decided was that he had engaged in sexual harassment, but more so that he had. That he had subsequently libeled her by his comments, Correct. and of course, when the judgment came down, and it was fairly substantial, it was a monetary judgment. That's so. I was. believe this is it was civil, large. right, rather than it, it, rather it, it wasn't a cr- a criminal rape case, but it was a it was a civil damages Correct. case. Correct.
0: And they decided instead of rape, it was sexual assault, but it was right. also defamation, and I think it was five million. We we did I believe a weekly, that's right. Weekly, but one. what happened
1: is. As soon as the judgment came down, within the next day or two, he goes out and makes continuing slanderous remarks. Well, if they're not true, they would be slanderous. You know what? The court had considered slanderous remarks. And she says, well, I I want more. Uh, He's continuing to engage in the same kind of behavior for which he was convicted.
0: Right. And it's, it's new New acts. So she's not suing on the prior act. She's suing on new statements. In other words, it's a
1: continuing kind of reiteration. Uh, and, And, you know, by the way, while, you know, while we're talking about Trump, in my judgment. Now, how it'll come out legally, I'm not sure. But the possibility that Trump could be eventually indicted for. Incitement to imminent lawless action at the Capitol.
0: Right, the January would 6th. cases. Right,
1: the January six. That, in my judgment, would be more consequential mm. than the current indictment based on documents. Sure. Causing a riot, or if that would be the judgment, you know, if in fact he incited, knowingly incited a riot, and did nothing to stop it that resulted ultimately in deaths and injuries. And it's far more consequential also in terms of, you know, the democratic system. Yeah. If you're going to create a riot every time you lose an election, you know, we're going to have to batten down the hatches every, every two years, particularly every, every fourth year.
0: Exactly. And
1: so, you know, and part of what's, and of course there's also, you know, there's also a possible suit coming out of, uh, Georgia dealing with the election interference, uh, mm-hmm. and we may have some prosecutors waiting in line now to
0: see what happens you, with the others.
1: Right. Well, and and you know who gets to go first? Apparently, the general rule, and again, you'll know this better than I do, but the general rule seems to be that federal cases usually take priority in time over state cases. Uh,
0: That is generally true. Whether I I don't think it's an actual law, but it's the deferential practice.
1: Right. But if Smith, and and here's the great unknown, I don't know where where Smith is on the incitement charges. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know which, whether the, in my judgment, the incitement, if it were to be proven, is a more, is a, yeah, more consequential issue mm-hmm. than the issue of documents, which is not to undermine the importance of that one either. But, right. you know, which would he take first if he got two indictments? I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, part of it depends on the judges, is when they're filed, what the judge's systems, what the state systems are, as far as timing and scheduling conferences and scheduling trials. I mean, technically, because of the criminal case, it's the defendant's right to a speedy trial, which he can waive. And I assume in these cases that he will waive the right to a speedy trial so that he can delay and can get more information. Um, So, the question is how much will these courts allow that delay just because you have a delay doesn't right. mean you can use it for an, you know, an indefinite time period. So what will the time periods be in each of these States in each of these jurisdictions, the federal versus the state for the New York one. Right. And you were saying earlier about the, the fairness of the trials, as far as venue, we're looking at venue of, of where these cases are being heard right. and being brought. And I think, the the most interesting part about them being brought in Florida, the current ones, yes. is that I think he will have a hard time asking for a change of venue.
1: I don't think that, he wants to change it I, of I venue. don't
0: think he would want to. I don't think he can because if anything, he's in the best possible venue to get a fair or more partial jury for him of Florida seems more pro-Trump than It's a a red state.
1: He's done well there. He lives Mm -hmm. there. Uh, You know, sort of call him a favorite son if you want. I mean, it's an adopted state.
0: Um, Right, but it's, you know, of anyone who might be favorable to him, it might be Florida. So with the change of venue motions, with the change of venue considerations, the thing that I could see him making as an argument for change of venue now, and I don't know how many people are talking about it, is his shift in view on the governor, that that might actually have Floridians disfavor him because of his shift and his disparagement, alleged disparagement or possible, depending on how you look at it, of DeSantis of Well, my
1: understanding is Santis is pretty much joined Trump on this one. Okay. In saying that he thinks it's it's a setup and even implied that he might might be willing to pardon trump okay uh would he to be elected i'm not positive of that but that's that's my understanding um yeah. you know it wouldn't at all surprise me if this went to court here's one where the four deer would probably be as of of potential jurors would be as or more important than the evidence that you presented at trial. Yeah, for you, our you viewers, could easily have a Trump hater or Trump supporter trying to disguise their views. To get uh, and it would be you know very difficult. And you know one of the one of the fascinating things that came out of this indictment is that the now it wasn't the judge in control; it was actually a magistrate. Uh, but the magistrate instructed that the president could not communicate with any the of the, w- with any of the people that have been involved in this, including uh, his valet, uh, who is also under indictment, but has not yet been able apparently to find Florida attorney.
0: Right. Uh, the alleged co-conspirator, which makes yes. sense. And, yes. and for those watching who don't know, the voir dire of the jury is a jury, the no. jury selection. Right. And, you know, Dr. Vile, I think what you're talking about is it, it is more important to figure out which jurors get seated right. than than what the evidence is and you know it reminds me and this is i hope our listeners understand and and you do it reminds me of the the movie runaway jury did you see that one
1: not sure it's i have early, you know there's a 2000s. The, the tv series bull was based on you know the notion that if you had enough if you had enough computer evidence and did enough research, you could basically predict how a juror was going to decide even before they heard the evidence.
0: Yeah. There's so many people. You hire people to review juries and jurors and help you choose. It's an industry. Sorry. Eating ice. It's an industry. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Yeah, you're slurring your words because of ice. Yeah, I get it.
0: (laughs) It's just the cold. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, they have people who are experts in jury selection that you pay so much money for to come in and help you select a jury. And I think that is where this comes in. And the runaway jury premise is is a, a firearms case where a a plaintiff sues a firearms company um, because her husband was shot during this, um, almost like an elementary school shooting, but in a business. And the idea was that these two people were trying to get one of them on the jury so they could influence the jury to decide in her favor. Um, and, and it was this whole, well, how do we, what do we say to get picked? What do we not say to get picked? Do we, you know, use our own opinions or do we actually put forward another so that people think we believe in one way but we don't? Mm -hmm. Um, So there is the idea that potential jurors may want to be selected and may choose to reveal or not reveal things that they really believe in order to be selected. Um, By the way,
1: usually if you tell people you're a college professor— they they dismiss you from the jury. <laughs> I don't know if the same is true for lawyers or oh not. Oh my gosh. But yes. The, the one time I was called, as soon as they found out, that was pretty much it. <laughs> it that's funny. As Bill Barr said I was toast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I I have I've been called for jury duty, but I have not been sat as as a juror. I I would not seat me either as an attorney. And in my juries, I don't want attorneys. Uh, because they do know the law, but sometimes they view the law. I mean, there's a reason we have opposing parties and opposing sides right. is because right. I view the law one way, they view the, and argue the law another way. So I wouldn't so, want you, an attorney on the jury.
1: You know, something that might be of interest to your listeners are the the two types of, of challenges mm. uh, for calls and peremptory. Yes. Uh, for calls, uh, you know, you have to— and and here I don't know if 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 you ask somebody what do you think of Trump, and they said I think he's the best president we've ever had, or I think he's the worst president, mm-hmm. would that be for cause or would that be peremptory? I'm I'm not sure which it would be. That the would one be you pre-emptory. have to give a reason, the other you don't. It
0: would be peremptory because you would choose um, to to dismiss him, but it's not for cause unless you can prove that there. Are thoughts that he's the best president will lead them to be prejudiced in their opinions that they would not be able to be impartial or fair. So then the follow-up questions would be, well, sir, because, you know, I understand that you think he's the best president. Would that, you know, does that mean that you cannot judge the facts and the circumstances that you hear in this case and only rule in his favor? Um, right. it, so there would be subsequent questions that the judge or the attorneys would be able to ask, and and it's hard because the judge will be like, "Don't you think you can still be fair?" Right. <laughs>
1: they're like,
0: "Oh, I think I can still be fair," and it's like, "Do you have right. to ask it as a leading question? Um, yes. Can't you ask it as you know what does your view on his presidency?" how would that affect your decisions in this case rather than don't you think that you would be fair? And, and it was like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yep. so, so yeah, mm-hmm. those, those questions for cause would be, no, I would only rule for Trump. I, I don't see it any other way. That's a dismissal for. Well, cause. Or if
1: you had worked maybe for a Trump campaign yes. or you had contributed a substantial amount of money to him, or you had, right. you know, you were a member of the Bedminster golf club, There's a Uh, presumption
0: of bias and a possible, you know, you regularly eat at Uh, (laughs)
1: Mar-a-Lago. All of these could be possibilities.
0: Absolutely. And and generally, if you know somebody, if you personally know or have interacted with any of the parties, including the attorneys for the parties, any of the witnesses, generally you are dismissed for cause. Um, Even if you can say, you, you know, you'd be impartial. I've had in my own community, some of the jurors have known me, and they're just dismissed whatever it is, because they would have an opinion about me, not necessarily my client, but my client because they know me. Right. So there's a presumption of bias.
1: So yeah. You know, I guess the other possibility is a plea bargain. Uh, Trump doesn't seem like the person that would, would do it, but as trials approach... I mean, the question is, you know, what, you know, that I did, I saw a very fascinating question as to whether, could could you put Trump in jail? Mm-hmm. And one of the, one of the person says, no, you can't because he's guaranteed secret service protection and there's no way that you could have secret service protection in, jail.
0: in jail. Oh, that's and interesting. And I
1: don't know, I mean, m- maybe... Maybe you could do house arrest or Mar-a-Lago arrest. I don't know what it would be called.
0: <laughs> that's, uh, that's really interesting.
1: But, I mean, it, w- it would certainly pose some very fascinating questions. Um, yeah. Well, could you, could you, you can't, can you plea bargain in a criminal case? Could you Absolutely. plea bargain a monetary damage?
0: You, you could. Um, sometimes you can exchange, well, I'll pay a higher fine. On one charge, if you dismiss another, or if you reduce it, um, it's absolutely a consideration is now for him, I don't know that they would do that because they're like, well, you have money. What does money matter to you? Right. Right. Um, so, but people are not guaranteed plea offers. And that's one of the thing in criminal cases is especially it's surprising. There are some Virginia jurisdictions where they don't even offer pleas. Everything goes to trial, um, which, well, I, would not because, want to I mean, it, there, it's the but.
1: evidence is over. Usually, the, the plea bargaining is, I mean, partly it's to save expenses for the, of the state, see. but partly it's the chance. And I mean, you would have a chance, again, because of the difficulty of selecting unbiased juries, there could be a chance that no matter what the evidence is, you would at least get a hung, if not an exonerating jury here. Absolutely. And so, this the state, you know. I, now, what would be fascinating, there have been some local cases, I believe, where, in fact, I believe there was one involving the mayor of a former mayor of Nashville, mm. but I'm not positive of this. Where there was a plea bargain that she would not run for re-election or would not run for office. Now, would that be constitutional? Maybe not, because As the only three the criteria for president are age residency, and citizenship. Right. And the Supreme Court in uh, Powell versus something or another, Powell versus McCormick. Wow.
0: I don't even remember either name.
1: Okay, well, Powell was the Clayton, Adam Clayton Powell of New York, Hmm. and McCormick was Speaker of the House. And the the House had, had sought to expel Powell, but they... They did it on the assumption that they could expel him by majority vote instead of by, where it's, it's too complicated. Congress can exclude people who don't meet the criteria when they're elected. They can okay. say, no, you don't have the. But the court said the only reason you can, ex- you, 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 you then expulsion is something different. It required a two thirds vote. So you can't vote to exclude him without making it a vote to expel him, which requires two-thirds vote other than age, residency, and uh, citizenship.
0: Is it the two-thirds or the supermajority?
1: It's two-thirds is my understanding okay. for expulsion. Is I believe you can be excluded. In other words, Congress, Congress sometimes has to decide on a, on which group of elect, you know, who has been legitimately elected. And I believe they do that by majority vote. So you would be excluded by majority vote. But my recollection is uh, that it's two-thirds to expel.
0: Got it. Okay. Well, this is extremely fascinating. I'm so glad that you have been with me. For whiskey, squeaky toys, and
1: and <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to put that on my resume or not.
0: <laughs> oh, it'll, it, it'll make you famous. It's good. <laughs> We're going to be
1: put on the map for squeaky toys and whiskey. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll be, we'll be in good company with Justice Kagan.
0: So. Yes, we will. And what, a, what former,
1: a former law school dean to getting to talk about squeaky toys and whiskey and
0: excrement. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so what a what a throwback to Tennessee here. Um, I, I really am glad to well, no be. Don't
1: us. associate Tennessee with well, that. That's, that's the
0: problem. That is the whole Thank problem, you. right? The state should be suing for dilution of its its good name and reputation.
1: Well maybe so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so, yes, my sweet dogs are here. They keep coming up to to play with me with their squeaky toys today. Um, but I'm hoping that you might join us another couple weeks um, because we keep having Supreme Court decisions left and right now.
1: Next two weeks. I try never to <laughs> leave the country from June through the, the end of June and sometimes the first week of July.
0: Well, I am glad because I'm hoping you'll come back. You are more than welcome and invited. Uh, this has been quite a fun and exciting time. So... We will look forward to some of the upcoming Supreme Court cases in the summer of 2023.
1: Okay. Let's hope we're not working up the wrong tree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> for sure. Thanks, Dr. Vile. And thanks to you guys. I hope you've had a good time. This is the Legal Weekly Wine brought to you by The Law Unscripted. And I'm Virginia Tarani with the Tarani the Law Office, Tarani Law LLC, because you never need a lawyer. tell how you do. And this is Dr. John Vile of Middle Tennessee State University. Thanks, everyone.